Here we go, Angelo. I'm going into geek mode, as you call it, and we are here. This is the fall line with Chaos and Company. And just want to put a shout-out. We are heading into fall, and almost places are starting to almost get open out west. Dave Basin, I believe, is open. Killington is blowing like crazy here in East and a few other places, even though they got beat by that little, I can't remember the name of it, Angelo, the little resort in Massachusetts that put ice on the hill and people went skiing. So even the beasts couldn't beat them. But uh, we want to thank our friends of the podcast and hope people will support them because they're absolutely supporting us with Blizzard Technica uh, on us on here for three years with us and continue that relationship. And then we also have Nick's Boot Fitting that Angela and I will be seeing right after Thanksgiving to go see Nick and get our boots dialed up before management seminar. And then as we're putting them away, the snow fell, but nothing accumulated yesterday here in New Hampshire. But um, we had a little bit of flakes coming down. So the rollerblades may get a few more days, but um, it's time to turn the corner to skiing. And uh, we have, for your lovely listening pleasure, we have Peter Cray, who is um, a big writer for us in PSA. And we were talking just before we get on. I was like, I'm glad they have him because I can do the podcast, but I'm not much of a writer. Uh, the once few times I have to, but um, Peter, thanks for being here with us. I, I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me. And uh, my my partner Angelo Ross, who's been super busy with his new job with P A S I A A A S I. Um, I don't know why we just don't say that P S A Aussie because the Aussie crew likes to do that. That A A S I always gets me. But um, Angelo, how's it going, man? Are you zooming it out or what? Real good. Yeah, living the Zoom life, you know. Stoked to talk to Pete. Pete and I, I've had the pleasure to talk to Pete. Been in, on the hill with Pete, hanging out with Pete in Finland, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. I, well, the one thing I'm curious about, though, is I do, I do know Pete can talk. <laughs> so I'm wondering, how, we might have to do a, a mini-series. Yeah. <laughs> And I was thinking, like, if we had Pete and Rogan on at the same time, like, it would it would have to be a reality show. Like, we would just have a camera crew. So, <laughs> but I'm joking. I'll tell you what. Nobody can tell a story like Peter Cray. So I'm looking forward to what happens here in the next well, hour or something. Because because you teed up Rogan, I'll tell the story right now. <laughs> so at Finland, we were the the national team looked beautiful in their red, white, and blue uniforms. It just they just popped. And Eric Shackleton, who's the Presidium of Interski now, had mentioned to me that one of his greatest joys was seeing any time a group of instructors, international instructors, walked by, there was always one red, white, and blue jacket in the group. So they were really getting new information and sharing information around the world. But I finished my last story for the week and decided to go out and free ski, and the groomers were absolutely phenomenal in Levy. It's, it's, it's a place you would actually go back to just for the groomers. And I get on the chair and it's an eight person chair. And I was like, I got this thing all to myself. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna relax and enjoy the day. And halfway up the chair stops. And I hear this voice coming over and I'm above the demonstration slope. It, and it sounds like the Charlie Brown. Whoa, 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 whoa. And all of a sudden from the base of the mountain, I hear Peter Cray. And I say, who, who knows I'm on this chair? And it's Rogan. He says, put the bar down. And they stop the chair if you don't have the bar down. And they will stop the chair until and every every member of the national team had the same story. That at some point they were on the chair and the chair stopped. <laughs> Just for safety protocol. They, oh. they take it pretty seriously over there. 
<laughs> uh, the, other, the other thing we found was there's a uh, there's a lovely restaurant called the Colorado in Levy, where Angela and I closed out an evening. But yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I'm really happy to talk to you guys. It's season the season's right around the corner. We got a little bit skunked last week. I drove my skis up to Colorado and never got them off the roof, and, and came home. But I, I have really high hopes for this season um, here in Santa Fe. El Nino is usually particularly kind to us. And I don't know how many of your listeners have actually know that there's a ski area in Santa Fe. And I feel like I feel like I put on my Chamber of Commerce hat here that Santa Fe is actually at 7,000 feet. And Santa Fe Ski Basin is the fifth highest base elevation in North America. The base chair is 10,350 10, feet. And that, that's higher than the summit of Jackson Hole. And we've got 1,800 vertical feet, and it's just a real, it's it's one of the remaining independent ski areas. It's super diverse clientele of people just, just enjoying themselves. And if anybody gets through New Mexico and wants to come ski, ski Santa Fe, it's, it's, it's well worth the trip. But no base lodging. You know, you'll stay in town, but drive up and make sure you hydrate. Do <laughs> you remember what elevation you're at? Uh, yeah, we don't have those elevations out here in the east. You know, we go, hey, over 4,000, and everybody from the west is like, are you kidding me? That's like, we're not even halfway up to the base yet. So, yeah. So, but Peter, can you just let us know a little bit about your role? I, I've seen it written two ways with PSA here and Ozzy, um, in terms of the lead content officer and then also lead writer. And I, and I see your name on a ton of the articles as we have in the 32 degrees coming out, um, especially stuff from, from Levy and, and the things on the strategic alignment. Um, but just a little bit on your role um, with them. The, the lead content officer sounded a little too serious. <laughs> so, so lead writer, just to simplify what it is. And I, I do get to take point on quite a bit of our content. And I, it's, it's one of the easiest jobs in the world because every every instructor has great stories to tell. And just being a conduit for those stories, and especially with the team and with all they've done to achieve the status they have now and all that they provide, not not just to the association, but to the industry overall. It's every day I wake up and there's more content than I can actually report. And the the thing about these folks is I think we talk a lot about game improvement in a lot of other sports, especially golf or, or um, tennis or football. I, I don't think the general public thinks enough about game improvement in skiing. I, th I think that everybody, if they took a le one lesson a year or one clinic a year would have a better season. But if you go to, to any member of the national team and ask them what they're working on, they won't blink. They will tell you exactly, and that's the, that's the pace that they that's the pace that they ski and snowboard and teach at. Is that they're just this, it's just this constant curve of improvement. And I was joking that I think I sent you this in an email, David. I'm not getting paid to ski. I get, I'm getting paid to write about skiing. These guys are getting paid to ski, and when I go ski for a week and with with the team. 
my skiing my skiing starts to go to hell because I'm wondering what they would fix every time I ski by. <laughs> and I had a I had a I had a moment with one of the one of my favorite guys on the Alpine team where we were big sky and he watched me ski a run. And he said, I knew that was you the first turn. I said, Well, well give me a bone, buddy. What, what, what would you fix? And it was only a couple of years later that he said, you know, you might want to just stay in the turn longer. So that that's my mantra going into this season. <laughs> stay in the turn longer. Stay in the oh. turn a little bit longer. Yeah. And and you you did teach at one point though. You know, that's that's what I wanted our listeners to kind of know that it's interesting. I know you've mentioned you're not a certified pro, haven't been certified in the past, but I know you taught, I think it was right out of college. Um I spent, I spent four years in Jackson Hole. I'm very proud that we um they the 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 year before I got there, I think they tried they hired everybody who tried out. And then the year I got there, they had seventy plus tryouts, and they only hired twelve of us. So I, I was, and then one of them was my best friend from college. And then another guy who I went to college with and never met, who later married my cousin. So we're all St. Lawrence University alums. So we, so we had a. We had 25% of the hires and it was, it was one of those magical, the, the people I got to ski and learn from and, you know, people like uh, Theo Miners, Rich, Rich Lee, Rennie Burke, Pat Campbell, um, Nathan Emerson, you know, the, the Jeff and Julie Zell, these, these people were all pioneers in big mountain riding and to, to be in that environment and then I remember somebody t telling me that you know, the, the mountain, the mountain's going to teach you something new every day, especially a mountain like Jackson Hole. And I really, I, I really enjoyed it. I, it was a, just a fantastic time to go out and, and I always tried to make sure that anybody I took out on a lesson really had something of value. And that we, you know, they, they had a really good experience and they had better skiing and they, they just had a better time. So I, yeah. I'd say I've always been, it's it's always been a passion of mine. It just it turned out that writing writing was the path I was supposed to take. And and it, it's interesting to me because um, you know as I I spoke to you a little bit and Angelo when I we were getting ready to start this I'm like this is a little different. My my research wasn't like this is a this is a certified pro. It's one of our people on the on the national team. You know we've been pretty lucky with our our guest the national team coming on and we were lucky to have Wayne Wong and Wayne Wong was still a certified pro in in canada and went all the way through to become like level four trainer so this was different for us and and but i did find which i thought was pretty interesting that i'm hoping you'll speak a little about but i i found some info that you were by um said it to be one of one of the 250 most influential people in the snow biz do you remember that yes <laughs> I, I, it, I this this is so lovely wife and I both grew up in Colorado and met at St. Lawrence. And we, we both always were, we were always skiing. We were always, you know, we always loved literature, loved to read. And she got transferred down here to Santa Fe. And I was just starting to write freelance for ski and powder. And I got a job here first tuning skis the first winter. And here's the funny part, just going back to Santa Fe, I was, looking up at the mountain 
and it was just covered in snow. And I said to my neighbor, I'm going to go tour up there for some, for some runs. He, well, he said, he said, you could ride the lifts. I said, there's lifts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've had a pass there for 25 years now. Yeah. Uh, that I, then I had a job at a newspaper and then I was looking at the, at the want ads in the Santa Fe newspaper. And there was a job for managing edit, for editor for a magazine called winter sport business which was the trade magazine for the ski and snowboard retail. And it was five blocks from my house. And to, to basically completely relocate to New Mexico and then find a full-time job writing about skiing and snowboarding that, that close, it's just, you, you, can't, you can't make that up. But I ran the show dailies for many years for the trade shows. And I think that's might be where some of that came from. I, I couldn't tell you who decided to include me, how that came about. But it was it was quite an honor and it was it was really nice to, to keep reporting on the back end of this sport. I think that there's there's such great media for the on the consumer angle that it's it's I think you know, the guys like us and a lot of the people that we spend most of our winter with, we, we geek out on that on those details. We geek out on the stuff that the consumer never hears about. That's yeah. what we like to get on the chair and, and hash hash over. Yeah, we, Angela and I never I mean, geek out, right? Well, I I don't. Oh, here we go, <laughs> Pete. Let me ask you a question. Um, we we hear so much perspective in the industry from business, from accounting, from legal, from human resources, and I I I know it's necessary. Like I get that. I'm not saying it isn't, but it's a pleasure to change the record sometimes. How, how would you encourage just, you know, just say young, young people, maybe late high school or college age people who are more humanities oriented to find a place in the industry, because that's really what you're doing. So I, I think that's up to the person that 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 person needs to see what their path looks like and there's you go to any any ski area and there there are those locals that only the other locals know about who are the heroes and they may drive the bus they they may be a fry cook they they may clean rooms they may shovel snow off the off the roofs but they get after it when it's time to get after it. So I think to find that niche, obviously with the changes the pandemic wrought, which you know they only accelerated with how hard it is to live in a mountain town in a lot of places right now, that, that niche might be a little narrower, but I would just, you, you, just, you just have to go do it. My, my best buddy from the Jackson days I, he, he he did very well for himself after he left in the stock industry, and you know, truth be told, we didn't we didn't know how we were going to eat every night some sometimes, but we knew we were going to ski all day. And anytime I talked to him, he says I would go back there in an instant. Just just <laughs> just pick up the phone, and we're we're going we're we're going right back to that place. Yeah, it's that it is that magical. So I think. Angela, I'm trying to give you a, 
when I tell people, when people, I'm of the age that enough of my friends now have kids that are graduating from college or high school and they want to be writers. And I tell them all the same thing. I say, um, write, write what you want to read, trust your voice and take chances. I think that's kind of life, right? I hope so. That you just, you've got to say this is, you've got, you've got to just assure yourself that what path you choose, if that, if that's the path you chose, it's the right path for you. And I think there's, there are all these niches. Tuning, tuning skis, tune, tune the skis all night. There was a buddy of mine who I landscaped with in the summer, and he was a, he was a groomer at Jackson. And he lived, he lived all the way over in Victor. So some nights he just slept on the couch. His only pair of skis was a pair of, was a pair of 225 downhill boards. Cause he just wanted to go just lay arcs on the stuff he groomed the night before. <laughs> that's, there's, there's those people out there. Yeah. Do, do you remember your first time on snow? No. Or were you too young? Too young. What are some of the first memories skiing for you? Well, it's funny because my brother has two boys and my brother skis crystal. That's become his home mountain. And they, he was the president of CMAC for a couple of years. And both his boys grew up in the race program. And Jeffrey's his name. And he and I, he's two years older. And we always had a competition of which one of us was on snow first because we were both two years old. And Wyatt, my younger nephew, has the family record one and a half. <laughs> so, <laughs> but to your, to your question, Dave, I, I remember I started out on wooden skis. I, I, I probably the first 12 years of my life, everything I had was the hand-me-down stuff. I was, I was the last person in the family to ski it. And I, I remember a lot of slow days. I, I remember wax being really, really important. <laughs> But I just I, I I just remember the feeling of being on the chair or pressed against the gondola window, and just just being around all these happy people. Every there, there was, and it obviously was a magical time to to ski some of these areas before they before they blew up. But there was just uh, my dad's my dad's best friend is a is a guy Don Welch. And Don was one of the first Vail ski school directors. And so we stayed with Don a lot, or we stayed at a place called Peeper's Palace, which was a, which was a lodge off the Minturn exit. And all the volunteer patrol families could stay there. You just had to make sure you reserved your room. And the, each family had their own little bunk, double bunk bed rooms. But every day we would go out and the, this, is, this was the 70s. So all the guys would go be patrollers all the ladies would go ski with each other and we would have this rat pack of kids just swarming down, down the mountain. <laughs> so you obviously have a true passion for skiing. I mean, that's obvious. And, and I think it is even in your writing and, and how, and you have a little teaching background from, you know, out of college and that, but how did you, I mean, there's a lot of time in, in between, I guess, but how did you come about writing for PSA and Aussie? That, so I went to, at Winter Sport Business, we really did, we, we, was, we were real reporters. 
we, we treated it like as a real news outlet. It was funny because my newspaper job just prior to that, my beat was the police report, business and schools. And every day my first stop was the police station and I would get the crime report. Uh, it's, it was, it was Los Alamos. It, it wasn't a long crime report. And there was some, there was some, just some things like that. That's, that's illegal. Uh, once like once a month, there'd be a kid waiting for me outside the door saying to the newsroom, please don't put me in the police report today. And so we, we I came from this, they, they hired me because we were trying, we were really doing real snow sports journalism. And then I got, when that, when that magazine folded, I was hired as the U.S. editorial director for Ski Press Media. So for a few years, we were, we were the free magazine that you picked up at retail. And they, they were launched out of, out of um, Montreal. And then we launched in the U.S. and then we launched in Europe. And for a little while there, we had the largest ski magazine in the world and the, and the largest ski test. And then the, the recession crushed all of that. And I had always, our, one of the former PSIAASI CEOs, Mark Dorsey, had always invited me out for team training. And he always invited me out for team tryouts. And so I always had this inside look at what, what really mattered and what the, team, what the team was actually doing on a regular basis. And it was always fantastic just to see these people on snow, and then especially during team tryouts, to see all the hoops they had to go through, just the the impromptu presentations, the the prepared stuff, and then the the, the actual skiing. And it got to a point where Mark called me up and said, "I, I my first the first book I published was a book called The Monster. It was a self help book that I was." hired by a nonprofit to write and it did fairly well for a little while and actually the san diego chargers had it in their outreach programs so somewhere in this closet here i've got a i've got a cd-rom of all these gigantic humans handing this book to little tiny people (laughs) 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 so mark mark had seen that book and he called and said our 50th anniversary is coming up do you want to write the history of PSIA. I, I, of course, of course I do. And that was, it was a challenge because I, a lot of that stuff hadn't been documented, but it, it was just, it, it was exhilarating to see how this association has continued to, to, to be so forward-looking. Uh, when you look back to just trying to get past final forms, when you look at the white book, when you get to a skiing right where for the first time there's, there's all this men, all these mental aspects are coming into it. It's not just you have to ski like this, but you have to you, you have to employ your mind too. And embracing snowboarding, embracing adaptive. I think we still, if you go back and look at Ann Shirling's presentation from Levy, there's still a long way to go in terms of gender equity. But what I saw was that, and Interski, Interski was, it was almost like you could tell a storyline from each Interski to the next Interski. And that, that's really how I got into it. And at the time, 
we did not have a robust website. Everything was really print. So reporting on this on a daily basis for the book, we started utilizing the website a lot more just to post this content as we were, as we we're moving forward. And that's the American snow, right? Yes. <clears throat> it's the title. Yep. And it's still available. It's still in the warehouse. There's still copies. It's <laughs> still copy. Well, okay. we got to push them out there, but uh, yeah, it's, I'll, I'll, it's, I'll it, sign it, them for you when, when I see you. Yeah. And, and speaking of the interskis, you know, you use that as kind of the, you were saying that's kind of your storyline to, to follow the progression through the interskis. You talk about that in one of your articles, you just have, was it this falls or was it the spring and, um, yeah, the the third, yeah. Cause you went through that a little bit, um, with the uh, learning connection model. Um, just that kind of storyline, how that's developed. Now was, was that spring or fall? Angela should know. That, that should have been spring. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I've got an article in the winter issue that I, I think the learning connection model is basically a blueprint for all good education. And I think what the team has created there, it, it, it really is a breakthrough. And we've been around my house, we've been looking at how to incorporate the learning connection model into everything we do. And so I have two large dogs, as Angelo knows, that are just my pride and joy. And they do, they go a lot to a lot of different rally classes and agility and all these things. And there's a lot, there are a lot of aspects of the learning connection model. I can see that some of my dog trainers might incorporate and benefit from. And I'm someone who learns by failing. Like let, let me mess up a couple times, but let me try it. Whether that's fly fishing or this, these training procedures and a couple of times I've been with trainers and they start to correct me the moment I start to do the task and it's like, well, give me, give me a second here. And what we found out is that in our household, we've got pretty good, pretty strong people skills, decent teaching skills. Our technical skills is a weak point. We, we're the people who, we're the people who are on YouTube all the time. Well, how do you fix that? <laughs> and i think that when you that in our in this profession there's there are a lot of people who have great technical skills but maybe they need to work, work more on the interpersonal skills and i think that's that's why it's so well-rounded that's why it's so holistic is that every one of us could pick one of those at any any given day that that would be a weak spot and that's a place where you can improve. Yeah. Well, and I know Angelo, Angelo's been a big push and he's going to win this new job. He, he definitely wants things to always think of the learning connection model, right, Bub? I mean, it's, it's as we build new things or, or education going out there, how does it roll around the, the learning connection model? And I'll stop. I'll let you talk. Well, I'm, I'm, I, the, the short answer is yes, but I'm, I'm wary of saying yes because there's a perception sometimes that then uh, the association expects people to to be a certain way, to ski a certain way, to teach a certain way, to behave a certain way, you know. But that's true. But the the qualifier is as appropriate for the situation, as appropriate for the people that you're with, you know. So, yeah, I, I think the I think the learning connection idea, the concept, 
is um, it's rich enough and it's versatile enough that it can, I haven't come across a situation yet on the ski hill. And I also used a previous job to design some training for experienced bicycle tour guides at a company I worked at. And I have yet to find a situation where it doesn't work as it's written. I haven't seen the need for an addendum yet or an appendix to it. So with that preface, yeah, I, I think I think people would do well by themselves to filter their thinking through that model, you know. But I'll also be the first one in line to say mo models are not reality. Mo models are models. Models are conceptions of reality. It's it's easy to find an exception to most models. And I'm sure the learning connection is the same way. But is it robust enough to handle most situations or, you know, in my case, like all situations I've encountered? Yeah. Yeah. I would love it if people filtered their thinking through it, you know. And to Pete's point, like using it at, at home is terrific. And like I said, like when I, I was charged a couple of years ago with, with uh, designing this training for these bicycle tour guides, it's the first thing I went to and it, it totally worked. So yes, yeah, yes. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted your thought. I mean, it, it, I know you've talked about that too. We, we should think of that when we're creating stuff or we shouldn't have stuff to free from what our main model is. So I try to keep that in mind because if not, I might hear from the, what is it now, the uh, education development manager. Oh, you're going to hear from <laughs> Oh, so, so Peter, I know in the, in, the, in the book, the Americans know the history of PSA Aussie. You talked a little bit, there's some things in there about the influence PSA Aussie has had on the ski industry. Can, just for people to know a few things that they could read about it. There are a couple things that are highlights from the book that you feel that they've had some good influence on the ski industry? I, I think that this is just coming from the event last week. It, I think the, the student focus is number, is number one. Thanks, Mo. <laughs> that really turning, turning the spotlight on what the students' needs are has been an on, ongoing theme and I think that going into Interski and, and, and Levy, where the motto, or I guess I'm looking for a better word, but the, the, the theme was the guest experience is everything. Yeah. And to have that be worldwide right now, that's a pretty cool concept. I, and I certainly give PSIASI a lot of credit for instilling that in other people. And I think that you see just to Angelo's point of saying, well, you have to ski like this or you have to ski like that. There's, there's a lot more emphasis on skiing, skiing in a way that makes you happy. And how, do you, how can you ski better in the way that gives you that sense of freedom, that gives you that, you know, that flying down the mountain thing that, that, that keeps bringing us back every day and every row. That would be the main, the other thing that I think that we've done and when I say we, it's just because I get used to saying that in these groups. Uh, but PSIASI is done. Go get them, boy. Um, is the the interdisciplinary 
sharing of education and best practices that you'll still go see other countries that, hey, Alpine's over here and snowboard's over here and we probably don't have adaptive. It, it, so it's the embrace of any way that you want to enjoy the snow. And the team that is, re this is their last term right now, they they did more in three years. They Each team usually has four years, but because of the pandemic, the previous team stuck around for another year and then they had tryouts. So this crew's only had, this crew only had a three-year term, but I, I just get the sense that what the point they've reached and where they can take, where they can take this next is they, they have set the stage for the future. So that that's, but it really, I just, I guess going back to the ba most basic point, I just sent there's this emphasis on however, whatever you show up on, whatever you want to do, we're, we're going to give you the best experience possible. That's pretty cool. And speaking of showing up on any gear, you're not just an <laughs> Alpine skier, you tele ski. Angela is calling himself a tele skier nowadays. And uh, we just got to get him out. We were supposed to ski together at Big Snow. I had my tele gear on, and the poor guy got sick and couldn't come. So we still have that, that telly date to get out there and snow together on the telly gear. We haven't done that. But you, you've gone through the years and that, that whole thing of being one of the 250 most influential in the snow biz has been, um, you've been pretty involved in the past with um, different magazines and that and a lot of gear tests and manufacturers in both. And not just Alpine or telly, I think a lot of snowboard stuff also um, gear. We... So I, I grew up in Park Hill, Colorado, and I went to East High School. And there were four or five of us there that were among the first 50 snowboarders in Colorado. And we would set up our afternoons. We would have study hall, photo class, study hall. So that we could take off at like 1.30 and go ride Berthoud. Because you still couldn't, I, you know, we, I had the little red the little little red Burton and with the with the rubber rubber bindings and nobody you know there was still before anybody was letting snowboarders ride the chairs but Berthage was one of the first three or four areas in North America to let you ride the chairs and for about six years that we actually we, we would just hitchhike back up and the things we didn't know about tree wells and avalanches somehow <laughs> <laughs> somehow we made it i'm knocking on wood right now and and we would get these people and every single person who picked us up to drive us back to the top of the pass was like what are you on what what is that and, and then when i went to college we had this place called the snowball which st lawrence still owns and it's a just a little tiny abandoned ski area but we, we could just go hike that and get lake effect snow all day and, and that was beautiful and I just, I've just always been fascinated by any way to slide. And Telemark was one of those low snow years here in Santa Fe when all we had was a few groomers. And that made those getting on free heel made those groomers seem really big again. And I've still got, I've still got my leather lace up Oslo's. I've got my Merrill super comps. Oh. I've got my, um, my Scarpa T race. And I have a couple old pairs of skis that I, I 
I have a pair of Yostmark classic noodles. I don't know if you ever saw those. <laughs> yeah. They were made they were made out of Idaho. Um beautiful, beautiful skis. I had an AT setup and these are still undrilled. Huh. And I I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna go to Volet or um oh, who the our who are our buddies out at Jackson and um Rainy. And I think I just like to get a classic setup and just I, I love I love that turn. And there's no other there's no other place in snow sports when you can have that much effective edge when you got when you're in a full completely knees down and you've got almost you know 250 centimeters of edge on snow and my wife who grew up alpine skiing she was also competitive soccer and hockey player she got on telemark and she never looked back she felt she felt trapped on alpine after that she had to be able to move her feet now have you been on the ntn setups i've not no yeah that's like a new animal for me <laughs> yeah I, I think i think i'm as old school as i can get in that regard <laughs> yeah yeah angelo's gonna be he's gonna be ntn for the first time this year no i i skied ntns all last year Oh, did you? Oh, sorry, you got them last year. I was thinking you yeah. just got them. No, Angel, it did, you, it, you, you're Telemark cert too, right? I am. Yep, yep. I have my level one telly. Um, hopefully, a little more time this year to get on them. So, right. yeah, it's uh, it's a joy. You know, it it, it it's kind of hard to describe the the. Uh, I guess it's a freedom. There's a freedom mm. element to it. You know, when your heel moves, but there, but there's control. It, it's just super cool. But it, as a, as a, you know, relatively accomplished alpine skier, going to Telly, getting more involved with Telly, it, it, it makes a, it makes a little hill look big, man. Like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta respect. Where do we take you off piece, Angelo? A little tree skiing, some bumps. I'll sign up. Yeah, bumps, bumps are fantastic on telly. That's actually one of the funnest things. I've dabbled. Just, just make sure you don't wear fleece because you'll be very white. It'll stick to you. My telemark skiing on in the bumps kind of looks like if you throw a cat out the window. I don't know. You get that cool stuff from the skateboard. Not that I. It's a hypothetical cat. I haven't thrown a cat out of a window, but I can picture what I think it might look like. Yeah. So, Peter, being a professional writer and, and journalist, um, I want—I was hoping you'd give some advice to, and I'm going to use a generalization here because I kind of see it in our ski world, the world that at least that I'm in within the ski world, that we um, have definitely a fear of uh, writing, kind of like a lot of people have a fear of getting up in front of a group and speaking. Um, you know, a lot of ski pros will have an easier time getting up in front of a group and public speaking than they will writing an article or writing something technical about something that they do every day on the hill and talk tech all day. Um, is there some advice as you've been working with ski pro and ride pros so much that um, you could help them to get, get the courage to, to write more so we'd have more for our members and more information out there for folks? 100%. And I think that Angelo and I were joking about this last night, how many 
how many people we know in this industry who could basically be running a Vegas lounge act because they're so comfortable with a microphone and you get, you get them, you get them in front of a room full of people. And I can't do that. Right? That, that makes me very uncomfortable to, to be in a situation. That's, that's probably part of why I'm a writer. And I think Angela's heard this story too. I'm, I'm looking at the bookcase in my office here and I've got a couple shelves that are filled with climbing books and surfing books. And I don't really do either of those things, but I really like the writing. And where I've come around is I, I feel like, I feel like there's just not enough good ski literature. And when I sat down and finished the, my novel, the God of skiing 10 years ago, next year, I, I, I felt like that was something I could give back to the sport that there's, and it's, it surprises me how many people think that the main character actually existed. And I've had some people from, I've had some people who are like associated press who've been writing about skiing for decades and actually someone from the U S ski team is like, wait, wait that guy's not real. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to, to actually, to your direct question, I think the biggest problem that people get into when they sit down to write is they start to change their voice. If you just, if you just write what you want to say, that's, that's the way to make sure that if you, if you write what you would say to someone personally, that's the way to make sure you're writing a true sentence. And I also, I, my mind is a, is a five paragraph essay that I, I want the first paragraph to tell you the first three, the three things I'm going to focus on. I want the second paragraph to go into depth on the first thing I said. Third question, third paragraph into depth on the second question, second question, fourth paragraph, the third thing. And then the fifth, I just tell you why I said all that. And so usually when I talk, I, I put things in threes. And that's, I, I think that's effective communication. I think that most of the people we work with on a daily basis are effective communicators. That's, that's why they, we also had this talk about how you talk about all these junior instructors who we get on the Hills every year and the job skills they have that probably nobody else in their class has because they are public speaking. They are taking a bunch of people they never met and having them all work towards a common goal and they are outcome focused that the, you know these these are the things i think that that what everything angelo and dave and you know you, you pan are doing these are the things that we've in the past found hard to quantify but now we're actually quantifying them and i think that when people sit down to write they feel like they have to do something different and I, I can't remember the author, um, I think it was Henry Miller, who he, some of his best work was, he just started writing letters to a friend back in the States and just telling the friend what was happening in Paris. And that was, that was his truest voice. And maybe that's, maybe that's a tip, Dave. Maybe that's yeah. the, just, you know, write this like, like you and I were just going to write this to each other and say, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. And here's what I want. But once again, back to your original point, 
I, I feel like that there's there's so much room for people to share their experiences. That's the we we tell these stories on the chairlifts. We we tell these stories at the end of the day. You just you just have to write them down the way you would have told me if you told me in person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I find is, <clears throat> excuse me, trying to encourage people is they they don't think they have something important yet just their story or their experience is important and and they're always like oh well what i think about this or what happened when i was at interski is not that important but i think that those that didn't go i mean there was a lot of our folks here went um they're part of the delegation that went outside the national team from the u.s and it'd be great for all of them just to write down one thing that really meant something to them that was their experience and and um but it's hard sometimes. I think they're like, ah, no one will be interested in this. Well, you, you, you just raised an interesting point because I feel so, so much of our sport is spoken word. And back to the God of skiing, I, I was just thinking about how many, all these, all these hills that have local heroes that if you don't ski there, you'll never know who that is. But if, you, if you're there, you, you know everything about that person. You know, he or she is the best skier, snowboarder, telemarker on the mountain, but only the people at that mountain know it. But going back to the spoken word is I, is I wonder if programs like this are helping to put that information out there in a way we never could before. So what you guys are doing, we're having, we're, we're broadcasting these conversations now. They're not, they're not just happening to be forgotten at the end of the day when we're driving home. You, you guys are creating a record of all of this. And, you know, the fact that we've got the record, uh, you know, let's let, I'm not going to go off into, in, into AI right now, but, uh, but what you guys, if, if people, if people just want to conduct these interviews live and just take the transcript of the recording, they've already got something they can use as a template for what they want to write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I get so excited. I was just watching, um, you know, Interski from home. I could see the team coming down. I had the, the, the camera or the webcam was up on the hill, and then I was watching the keynotes. And I, I, I don't even – Angelo, I don't know what you were doing. You, I was texting you, like, even before Ann finished, like, dude, we got to get her. Go find Ann. Get her before you – know, we want her to come on the podcast. That was such a great keynote. And Angelo's like, what are you talking about? I'm doing this for now. You were in some other session, I think, at the time. And Angelo's like, slow down, slow down. <laughs> it was really powerful. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. There, it, there was and, a lot. And, and she had, well, she has the research to back it up. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just an opinion. It and was, that's it, what hit me. Yeah. But you remember me getting on you, Angela, and you were like texting back, like, well, slow down. What are you talking about? <laughs> hard, hard to distinguish that example of you getting all over me from all the others that happened so much in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Peter, I'm going to put you on the spot. You, your top three most influential people in this world of skiing. You got to give me a subcategory. <laughs> um, I, I, there's so many places. <laughs> let me let me let me rephrase it this way. I and this this goes back to one of the original questions you had about how people get in this industry, and 
one of the great the greatest people we've ever had in this sport is Glenn Plake. And I was in St. Anton with him at Tinderski 2011. And he and Kimberly and I walked over to the practice slope together and he had you know full mohawk up. And it took me 10 minutes to get to the practice slope. And it took him an hour and a half. Because he stopped to talk to everybody who wanted to talk to him. And he stopped to share that stoke. But he is a member of PSIA. And he has always said, this is the place where people like us can go pro. That you, you want to be a professional skier? You want to be a professional snowboarder? Be an instructor. That's, that's the door. The door's open. And you, you, can get, you can make a living going out there and teaching and, and sharing the sport. But to your question, Angela, I was thinking that growing up, you know, we had the Mayer brothers, we had Peekaboo Street. And if, if anybody sat any of the three of us down at any point and said, oh, by the way, you're going to have Tommy Moe. You're going you're gonna to have Lindsey Vaughn. You're going to have Julia Mancuso. You're going to have Ted Leggetty. You're going to have Bodie Miller. You're going to have Michaela Schifrin. The, I mean, we, we, never, we would have thought, just, just give us one of those people and we'll be happy. And the fact that we've had the, that many just lights out amazing athletes, and I'm, you know, I'm not even talking about snowboarding, where you know, we, we really pretty much invented it, that we, we would have been ecstatic. Just, just give me Bodie, just give me Ted. I don't care, just give me one star that, that I'm not gonna be shocked when they win. I'm actually going to expect it. I'm, I'm actually going to think that this person has the talent. It's not going to be a fluke. It's not going to be one of those Olympic Games moments that somebody nobody's heard of comes out of comes out of nowhere to snap up the downhill gold. But um, to get personal about it, it, to me, it's my dad. You know, I, I don't have anything. I don't have any of this without pops. And I think I think that's the personal element that we all. We all have somebody that that brought us into this, and we would we can't imagine being anywhere else. We wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I, I, we all we all it's I, going going back to just the the instructing instructional experience is that we're we're sharing the life we're sharing the lifestyle that we've all committed to. We we we're all in. Every one of us is all in. And Dave, you had said something about. Um, just identifying as a skier is that we have, we have this clientele that they may ski six days a year, but if you ask them what they do, the first thing they're going to tell you is they're a skier. Yeah. They won't even blink. It won't be pickleball. It won't be dry. Well, maybe pickleball. <laughs> this is, this is an identity for everybody. And it's why we are sitting here. Sunny, sunny day in November. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crazy and and it's, it's, go ahead, and, it's, Angel. and it's and it and it's i don't know if this is too much of a stretch tell me what you think but it's interesting that the folks you mentioned plake said be an instructor that's teaching skills you mentioned all those racers with their superhuman technical skills and then your dad was the people connection look at that 
So learning connection. Nicely done, buddy. Yeah. See, he can do it, Peter. He can do it. Can you send me the notes on that, Angela? Uh, it's being recorded. You can watch it. I get. I get to write. I have to write a column. We'll get AI yeah. to AI can write it based yeah. on this recording. Yeah. I, I, every time. Every time I messed around with that, it just. It doesn't. It doesn't have the emotional aspect. Yeah. It, it's. So, so here's a question. We haven't mentioned this name, and I'm curious on on both of your opinions. It's, it's um, in, uninfluential. Is uh, Deb Armstrong, yeah. Olympic gold medalist, all the way to our national team, putting a lot of content out there right now, some great content, YouTube. and I mean, that's a pretty amazing influence there. You're, you're 100% right. And her sharing her knowledge as an instructor – and her talent, yes. And I think the um, I, I think the the message that she, she's cut she's cutting through a lot of the junk that's out there, and she's confronting it and and showing that there's a there's just a there are better options. Did she? Yep. Yeah. I, I agree, Dave. Yeah. No, she's been... I, my what I like about the way Deb does does it is that it, it's completely unpretentious. You know, it, it's just so real. Like her, the way she talks about it makes sense. It's clear. I think that's great. I, I'd, never heard the, I'd never heard of the white pass turn, at least that I remember, till Interski, and now, now I'm seeing it everywhere. It's one of the first things I want to do when we get back on snow is work on a couple of white pass turns. <laughs> along, along with staying in the turn longer. There you go. Well, and, and speaking <laughs> of interski, that was something I wanted to know. I mean, that it's hard to write everything. I mean, there's so much that went on talking to everybody that was at interski. Um, what's out there that you that you may still want to explore and have an article on or write on? Is there some interesting? Was there a country you and something interesting they haven't finished that you're still looking at? Um, yeah, I, I was pretty, I was pretty U.S. team centric mm -hmm. and I, I really wanted to capture all the hard work that went into what we presented and the team members themselves were doing a lot of the reporting on the other countries. So if you go to the snowpros.org and look at our interski content, it's a lot of live reports from, from the actual team members themselves. And that, that's really cool to see what, what they saw. You think, you think of like doctors going to watch another doctor perform surgery type thing. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what they were doing. Yeah. And they, they really, some of the top takeaways of there, there was there was a lot of wild stuff. I, I followed some telemark presentations. I followed some snowboard. I followed alpine. I followed adaptive. It's the the I guess the one thing I'm most interested in is the sense of community. And once again, shows shows like what you guys have here, events like interski. I I really do think it's it's about welcoming more people into the community and I, there are all these people I have not seen for seven months. I'm going to see again when this ski area opens. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna feel like I'm back in I'm back in my element again. And I'm gonna catch up with folks that for whatever reason we just don't catch up in the summer. But every one of us have that at, at our local hill. We're all we're like, hey, we're we're back. We're all together again. <laughs> what have you yeah. been doing? And so that that that's and I think that man, how do we how do we just keep growing the community? And to have to have an international focus on that, that 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 was the takeaway. Did I I when you asked me about going to um how I got into this and I, I would go to team training in the past, you know, the the different disciplines wouldn't wouldn't really talk to each other or hang out together very much. That that took a long time for that to happen. It's like, hey, you guys are over there, you guys are over here, and every every discipline had its own feel. And now just in our group to see, you know, who knows who's sitting at the table together. And, but to see that happening on an international level as well, that once again, I think I said this 20 minutes ago, whatever, whatever you show up with, whatever you want to ride, this is the crew that'll help you have a better time doing it. That's cool. And I can see that because it was there was a lot of stuff that came back, <clears throat> excuse me, from our team, in terms of just in the articles, the ones you wrote. That um, that's a lot to follow. Just what our team's doing. Never mind all the other countries. It's like we need like ten reporters, I think. <laughs> you, yeah, you. <laughs> we have uh, George. George does a fantastic job. Yep. Uh, Andy Stein, who's who's in marketing is I, I think he, he's also a he's also a meteorologist oh so he yeah he's got this he's got this other insight that just and, and he has he has that weatherman voice he's he's very good at <laughs> but i think you know to, to me going forward um I, i'm just I'm, i want to hear more about what members want to write and talk about. So back to your question, Dave. Yeah. That I, I think that that's an opportunity for, hey, this is, if, if it's important, if it's important, important to somebody out there to talk about or think about, then let, let's hear it. Yeah. Man, let's hear it. Yeah. I, it's, you know, if people don't write, we don't get the Snowpro or Easton newsletter and if people don't put stuff into 32 degrees, we don't we don't have those things to read. I mean, I know when they come, I open them right up and start going through what's going on in there. That, that's what gets me fired up, especially this time of year. Well, that's that's once again when you asked me at the top of the show here why why this is such a great place to work. It's it's, it's because everybody has these stories, and we get on the chair and we hear those stories, and some of the some of those stories. After a while, a lot of people hear them because they're just really good stories. Yeah, and, and pe- people want to tell them. We we're out we're out there living every day. Yeah, and I know Angelo would like to ask you because this was something he thought was pretty cool. I, and I know you've been involved with it. It's the the Mountain Gazette is rolling again. You were heavy involved with them over the years. They've had a couple hay um, periods there where they haven't had publications going out, but they're going out again. Are you? Still writing or doing anything with the Mountain Gazette? Is what did they hit two hundred ep- um, publications or something, Angelo? Two hundred 
uh, issue, correct? Yep. You, and it, and I'll tell you, David. I'll, I'll just say it's a, it is a it's an absolutely beautiful piece of work to hold in your hands. Like it's it's a large magazine. Pete probably knows the specific dimensions of it, but it's tall <laughs> and it's big, and the artwork is unbelievable. Um, I, I think anybody listening who doesn't know about the Gazette should take a look at it. Um, there it is. Look at that. Look at that cover. <laughs> I can't. I can't fit it on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Pete, flip open a couple of pages, and there's a beautiful, really colorful piece. Do you, do you know what it's? Uh, uh, there's a girl on Instagram, artist who did the, this particular piece. It's about six or eight pages in. The photography is wonderful. Um, it it's worth looking at just for the visuals, and then the stories are terrific. The stories are tremendous. Um, so I actually I actually ran editorial for these guys for about a year and a half, and it was where I it was where I started to test drive a lot of chapters for the Goddess King, and. and it really is the, the history of this magazine. Um, Hunter S. Thompson wrote for them. You know, all the all the big outdoor writers had columns there. And for a long time, it was just free in Colorado. And then it was free kind of across the Rockies. And it just it just it just hit a couple bumps in the road over the years. And there's a guy, Mike Rogie. And Mike Rogie grew up in upstate New York, but uh, worked worked at Powder, does, does beautiful video. And he bought the magazine a couple of years ago, like four years ago, I guess. And he's actually somebody I communicate with every day, so I'm a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> he probably he probably texted me while we were talking. Um, we all we all had high hopes for what Mike was going to do. We didn't imagine that this something this awesome. We were like, "Hey, Mike's going to do good work," and then now it's like, "Oh my God, this guy, this guy took the roof off." It, it, it's gorgeous, and I've got a book I've been working on called um, "The Ghost Hotel," and it's about it's about four or five trips that really defined the rest of my life starting in 2009 in South America. And the, so there's five, there are five installments of the ghost hotel before I'll have the book ready. And Mountain Gazette has now published three of them. And so the one in the, my, my essay in this issue is called the, the snow show. And it's about the trade shows and all the behind the scenes, crazy stuff that used to happen when we all used to get together at this big event every year. But what Mike has done, he, um, I guess there's there's some bookstore in Manhattan right now that has 10 issues for sale that is one of the premier places to get magazines in Manhattan. He's, it's, I'm trying to, help help me out here, Angelo. I'm, I'm trying to think that there's there's nothing else that shows up my up at my door it's that exciting. And I was talking to a couple of people at some of the ski companies this year. And it, 
it just, it didn't feel like we had the anticipation that we usually have just because snow sports media is kind of trying to figure itself out again. And right now you were all, we used to like five, six years ago, we'd get bombarded with three or four magazines saying, buy this, go here. Season's coming. It's going to be a blast and some really cool essays. And, and I, I feel like we're still trying to find our way that where, where, where do we go with media from here? Obviously video is going to continue to lead the charge. But is there, is, there, is there still room for more print? Is there still room for, and what you guys are doing in the, this, how do we, how do we get the consumer to find us at this place too? Right? I mean, Cause a lot of this is kind of inside baseball. Yeah. But so how do we, how do we continue to invite the consumer to join us on these adventures? And I think Mountain Gazette is, it's, you're like, holy cow, I can't wait to go outdoors. And yeah. the Angeles point, you, I've had this magazine for what, two weeks now. I've written two, I've written, read two stories. Because they're, they're real long form, it's real long form journalism. It's not just. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, it, I engage with the ski world daily because of my, it's my job and it's what I do. But when that magazine shows up and I read the stories, it makes me feel like an insider. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not a lot of ads, right? It's, it's the stories. It's the journalism that's in it. It's what I've been reading about it. There's not a lot of like ad, 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 ad. No, he, I mean, he, if, if, if he wanted to, he could do 300 pages. He, you got to draw the line somewhere. And um, he could also probably do four issues a year, but I know how hard he works just on two. And that he went, he went for a nice vacation with his wife and boys after this issue 200 came out. And he got home and was right back into the grind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> so, well, that's that awesome. Make, make the donuts? Was that what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was. So, what do you think about an article and, and on some of, some of the things like our sponsors do for us. For example, Nordica just came out with a pretty incredible video series yeah. with our CERT level one, two, three. I, I thought it was pretty amazing really the cool. time that they, they put into it to um, to get out there. <laughs> Everyone's quiet. <laughs> oh, no, you, 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 I, was, I was waiting for the question. You said oh, well, I'm just, I'm just curious if, <laughs> is that worthy of an article? I, I would think so in terms of, I think it's great that one of our sponsors, even though it isn't, you know, Angel and I were like, damn, why didn't Blizzard Technica do this? But, you know, for, for Michael and um, Megan and Troy to be out there and, and Nordica put a lot of time and effort and incredible video crew. I mean, it's a great production that was done kind of on the outside of our regular educational world, but given to our members. I, I think that the, the cool thing about it, other than what you said, and it just very much people you want to, hear this inside scoops from that it also applies to it, it also has an international implications hmm. it's not just one one country that anybody who wants to improve and earn earn advanced certification can 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 use this and we have been at psia the snow pros has been publishing part one part two part three and then 
next Monday, part four, one one part of the series a week. So that so that is being broadcast. I think that there's this is this is something that Nordica did on their own. This isn't something yeah. that that someone else came to them and said, "Hey, can we do this with you?" So I think that when you when you ask that question, th that's a, that's the opportunity for the brands to discuss. That's where, where they want to focus, and that's. It, I'm trying to think of because because it really is a fantastic series, hmm. and at the same time I'm thinking of all these. The, 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 there's a lot of other initiatives that I've seen over the last couple of weeks and not, not in this exact purview, but just in gen in different areas that like get, getting more women on the snow, um, getting more diversity on the snow. And that, I didn't, I don't like how that sounds encouraging more and welcoming more diversity on the snow. That, that that's a better statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Angela, what do you got for here as we finish up? Um, we we recently had a, a character on the on the show, Pete, that I know is pretty important to you, and I I wanted to just give you an opportunity to talk about Porter for a minute mm. um, and his induction into the the Hall of Fame. And and let me and, let me shut and, my window because my neighbor has the wheat leaf blower on, and I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Note to self, edit out weed blower comment. <laughs> so, Porter, Porter's just, any, anybody who knows Porter has been influenced by Porter in a positive way. That he, he's just a positive force wherever he goes. And he, he sees things and gets them. And so I'm a big hockey fan and my, my team is the avalanche and Porter's son played pro hockey in Europe. And so every time, every year when I have seen Porter at national Academy, the first thing I say is, can the avalanche win the cup this year? And every year Mike would say, eh, probably not, probably not. And then two years ago, he says, he said, Pete, I think this is the year. And of course he was right. Because because <laughs> he's just he he knows everything. And we're skiing yeah. we're skiing around Finland. And Porter comes to the comes to interski every year. Really he's kind of he's kind of the backstage pass that he'll <laughs> he'll let you know why what each country is presenting is important to what they're actually teaching. And so he'll have, he's got the inside scoop on what each, each international delegation, why they're doing what they do. And he gives everybody an overview. It's, it's, it's basically the crib sheet. And so we're skiing around and we get to the one side of the mountain. It's like, man, it's a lot colder over here. And Porter immediately explains to me the local weather. <laughs> <laughs> because he's just, wherever he goes, he's just on it. But he's he's done that for this this association for for decades. He he's been the glue, 
And I think that anybody who's come through the team, anybody who's had interactions with him, it, they, they will tell you a similar story. My takeaway from him being inducted is how hard it can be to, to quantify the impact each instructor has. So if you're talking about an athlete, you just look at the win total. But if you're talking about how an instructor, how many, how many people, once again, going back to earlier in our conversation, how many people did you get over the threshold that say, man, I'm here forever. I'm never leaving. How many people did you give such a better experience that they introduced someone else in their family to the sport? And that every instructor has that impact, but it's hard, it's hard to sit down and just put a list together and said, hey, you did this. And Porter, Porter, I, I, I did see his nomination packet and it was quantified. There, there are, there's a, there's a list of bullet points and it doesn't begin to cover half of what he actually did. But if you, if you want to say, does this guy deserve to be in the hall of fame? But hell yes. And I would, I, I would hope that it's, it's a long line to come. I'm, I'm not going to call him out right now, but I can think of a few other people in this association who would certainly deserve the nod. <clears throat> Peter, thanks for telling the stories. And just like, even if you didn't write it down, you were talking about it with, with Mr. Porter, because um, he is an icon and a legend and just amazing. And um, I, I say that, and I haven't had the pleasure of skiing with him. It's just knowing of him and the things I read and all the things that he's done over the years from way back in the 70s on the team. So he, he's a pretty impressive. And, and for you to write all the stories and the information and the things going on, what we're doing and what the organization is doing is pretty cool. And um, I'm super psyched that we were able to have you on and let our listeners know who's the person writing those cool articles um, about all of what's going on with PSA, ASI. And um, we hope to have you back. Um, would be great sometime. Chat about some things. And you got some cool skis in the back, so we'll definitely have you back there on the wall. Yeah. Um, but guys, thanks so much. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, there are just so many good people in this industry. You can't you can't name them all, but I, I encourage people to go out and meet them. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And just to clarify for anybody who listening who wanted to check out the the, the uh, video series that Nordica did, if you go on YouTube and search Nordica Pro Series, it the three videos they made come right up, and they are they are definitely worth a look. They did a nice yeah. job. Also, on. go just to just to drive traffic. You can also go to the snowpros.org. You can also go to the snowpros.org <laughs> if you're searching for that video series as well. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody out there for listening. This has been The Fall Line with Chaos and Company.